My name is uh, Johnny. I'm the campus pastor here, and I am so excited to be here. I uh, have been away for a while. I was here last week for our unified service, but I was even late to that. My daughter has been uh, in the hospital. It's four weeks today, but we are no longer in the PICU. So she has been discharged from the PICU. Yes. Praise God. And we are in the blank, you know, general children's floor now at uh, blank children's hospital. And we are so grateful for the doctors and the nurses and all the people who have uh, been there for Eliza at the hospital. But we are also so grateful for all of you. And uh, I believe that prayer is powerful. And I believe that you all have been a praying people for Eliza. And uh, I don't, my wife and I, I don't think we could ever express the gratitude that we have for your prayers, for your generosity, for your letters and your emails and your calls and your encouragement. And so hopefully next week when I'm standing up here with you, I can tell you that she's not in the hospital at all. That's my prayer for this week. But we are so glad uh, to be moving in the right direction with Eliza. It really is a blessing and, uh, and I'm grateful for all of you. So with that, let's get to business, guys. Oh, man. Uh, we are starting a new series uh, for the next five weeks and it is called Freed. Freed. And this is going to be a series that uh, is in the book of Galatians. We're going to be moving through the book of Galatians, and then we are going to go into the Lent season. So this is one of those series that lands kind of in the middle of things. Uh, Suzanne did a vision series throughout the month of January, and then we have Lent coming up. And sometimes you get these windows where you get five or six weeks between church calendar events, and you start to think, what do we do with these six weeks? What are we going to do? And we talked as a staff, and we really believed that uh, the book of Galatians would be a, a valuable resource for us as a church. So we're going to be spending the next six weeks here in the book of Galatians talking about being freed, being freed. And we chose that name because that really is the core message of the book of Galatians. That's what the book of Galatians is all about, is being free, being set free from things. And Paul, throughout the book of Galatians, really highlights three different things that we have been freed from. We have been freed from three different areas. And the first two are things that we talk about a lot here at the bridge and things that I think maybe we have some uh, familiarity with. But the third one is not necessarily something that we think about today in our 21st century American context. And so we're going to look at these uh, three things, but the third thing is where we're really going to dig down today. The first thing that we have been freed from is the power of the world, the power of the world. We no longer have to follow the patterns and practices of our surrounding culture. We are no longer needing to be pulled into the kind of the whirlpool that is our culture. We don't have to do the things that our culture tells us to do just because they tell us to do it. We have been freed from that power. And the world can operate on issues of consumerism, on violence, on wielding power to control other people. But we, through the Spirit of God, have been set free from the power of the world. And that's something that Paul talks about, and that's something that we talk about here at the bridge quite a bit. We have been set free from living into the cycles of the powers of the world. Secondly, we have been set free from our sin. We have been set free from our sin. We no longer have to live in fear that we have made too many mistakes for God to love us. We no longer have to live with the anxiety that sin creates in us, that we are not enough, that we can't be enough, that we are carrying too much baggage with us to get to God. We have been set free 
from our sin. Now, unfortunately, that doesn't make us perfect right away, right? We all know that. But we have been set free from the power of sin over our lives. We no longer have to live as people who are afraid of our sin or as people who believe that our sin is keeping us away from God. We have been set free from our sin. We have been freed from our sin. And the third thing that Paul talks about and and we're going to talk a lot about today is that we have been set free from the law. Freed from the law. Now, the law is this huge catch-all word that the Bible uses to talk about like all of the Old Testament rules and regulations and also all of the religious Jewish customs that the uh, Jewish people uh, lived with throughout the Old Testament. The law is this huge catch-all term for kind of like the Jewish religion and the Jewish way of life. And Paul says in Galatians, we have been set free from the law. So the law would include the Ten Commandments. That would be kind of the most basic, uh, you know, funneled-down version of the law would be the Ten Commandments. But it also includes things like uh, the observance of Jewish feasts and festivals, like Passover, the Festival of Booths. It also would include uh, religious practices like circumcision. All of that would be part of the law. So chances are this morning— If you have come out here to gather together at the bridge and worship with us, chances are you have never felt like you were less of a follower of Jesus, like you had a worse relationship with God, like there was something between you and God because you didn't celebrate Passover last year. Chances are that never occurred to you that celebrating Passover was something you had to do in order to stay closer to God. Chances are you didn't think twice about the bacon that you had for breakfast this morning, okay? Chances are good that here in this 21st century context at the bridge, this is not a thing that you thought about when you came to church. But those are things that are in the law. And that's what makes this section of Galatians and this idea of the law hard to grasp for us here today. Because uh, we are Gentiles, most of us, and we don't feel like we have to follow this law. But that's not always been the case. That was not always the case, and that's certainly not the case for Paul and the people that he is talking to. Because most of the converts in the early church, in fact, all of the first converts in the early church, were Jewish people. They had grown up following the law. And not just following the law, but loving the law, revering the law, knowing that the law gave them guideposts for how to live their lives. They had lived uh, and grown up in an environment where the law was the most important thing in their lives. It made them who they were as people, as the family of God. It defined them. And the idea of not following the law was completely foreign to them. Why would you not follow the law? There was no sense that just because you accepted Jesus, you were not going to follow the law anymore. That wasn't like an equation that these people had room for in their heads. They were Jewish people who accepted the Messiah, and they were going to continue to be Jewish people. And you know what? That's not a problem. Like, that's not a problem. Paul does not have a problem with Jewish people continuing to be Jewish people and following Jesus. That wasn't a problem then. It's not a problem now. It's not a problem to celebrate the festivals. It's not a problem to keep the food requirements of the law. None of that is problematic. Nobody, not even Paul, told Jewish believers to stop living according to Jewish customs. Nobody, not even Paul, came in and told them that it was wrong to observe the festivals or the eating regulations. 
They had done that all their lives, and they were going to continue to do that. And that was not a problem. It was not a problem for anyone until Gentiles started accepting the message of Jesus. And then suddenly there's a question. Because at the very beginning, the church had a very Jewish flavor. Again, these were Jewish people raised in Jewish systems who had accepted this Jewish Messiah, and now they had the message of grace and the gospel, but they continued to live as Jewish people, which was not a problem. But now there are Gentiles, non-Jewish people, who are accepting the message of Jesus. And the question becomes, do these people have to become cultural Jewish uh, followers in order to be part of the church? Do these non-Jewish people have to accept and adopt Jewish practices in order to be considered part of the church, part of the family of God? And that is the big question that Paul is addressing in his letters to the churches in Galatia. That is the big question that was burning in the early church. They had to figure this thing out. This, this whole movement had a very Jewish feel to it because those were the first converts. So what was going to happen when non-Jewish people began to believe? They had to figure out what that was going to look like. So that's what Paul deals with uh, throughout Galatians, but especially here in the first few chapters. And I want us to dig in today, and we're going to jump around a little bit uh, in chapter 1 and 2. But it'll all be up on the screen, so we should be able to follow along. This is Paul. He's writing to these churches. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. He says, I can't believe that you're doing this. He says, you're turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some of you are throwing, uh, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Verse 11, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. So Paul is being very clear here at the outset. He's saying, this message that I brought to you is not man-made. This is not just a religious practice that I expect you to keep that I made up. He says, I received this message from Jesus Christ. I didn't get sent by a man. I didn't get sent by a church. I didn't get sent by anybody but Jesus. And I brought you that message, pure and unfiltered. Paul is saying, that's what I brought you. And now... You're allowing that message to be perverted. He says there are others who are coming and adding to that message. And he actually says that they should be cursed 
for what they're doing, which is pretty strong language. So in the next section, uh, Paul kind of goes through an autobiographical journey of his life. This is a thing Paul likes to do. He likes to be like, you can trust me. Look at all I've done. And so he kind of does that here. He says, I had this conversion experience where I talked to Jesus. I didn't hear the message from anybody else. I heard it from Jesus myself on that road. He says, after that, I went into Antioch, into the desert, into all these places, and I learned from God this message of grace. He's making it very clear he receives this from God. Then he says, after all that, I went to Jerusalem, and I met with James and John and Peter, the pillars of the church, right, the the head honchos of the church, and I told them what I was doing, that I was spreading the message to Gentiles, that I was telling non-Jewish people all about Jesus, and they were loving it. He says, I went to Jerusalem to tell them that, and they approved. So first I received it from Jesus, then I told the pillars of the church, and they gave me the thumbs up, and then he even says, and then I went out and I saw Peter acting a fool with some Gentiles and not eating with them because they weren't doing Jewish things, and I called him out. I mean, Paul really wants you to know, like, he's the man, okay? And he's, he's not afraid of Peter. He'll tell this guy what's up. So Paul is telling all of this autobiographical information to the Galatians because he really wants them to understand this message of grace, it's not something that he made up. This came from Jesus, and it was, under, like, it was underwritten by the pillars of the church. He says this is important stuff, so that's important. So he keeps on going now in chapter 2, starting in verse 15. I'm all worked up, guys. We, <coughs> sorry, we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we, we may be justified in fa- by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because, the works by, because by the works of the law no one will be justified. Down to verse 19. For through, the law I die, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So he has la- he's laid out his whole argument now for the people in Galatia. He's laid out his whole argument, and he says, the law cannot do it. You can't be adding to the grace of God. We just have to follow what we first believed with Christ Jesus. So I've talked before uh, here about my uh, upbringing and the kind of church that I grew up in, very traditional, very conservative. And those words uh, mean different things to different people. There are some people here who would say, this is a traditional conservative church. And so I just want to paint you a picture, okay? Uh, Imagine you're at Costco, and you see that 15-passenger van pull up, and then all the family gets out of it, and there's like 15 kids, uh, and they fill the van. And there's a lot of denim skirts, and like uh, shirts tucked into jeans. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Anybody seen this family at Costco? They're lovely people. I love them. We weren't that family, but we went to church with that family, okay? That's what it was. It's like one step removed from the 19 kids and counting family. Do you understand? Okay. So that's where I'm coming from. That's the background that I come up in. That's, uh, it's very conservative, very traditional, all that. So I'm coming up in that background, and it's time to go to college. And uh, generally, if you're from a homeschool kind of a background, you, you go to a very conservative, traditional Bible college. 
Uh, and so I decided that's what I was going to do. And so I went uh, to this Bible college, and it was the first day. And, you know, you're moving your stuff into your dorm, and everything's going good. And I go down, and I'm going to register for classes on this, you know, very first day of orientation and everything. And I remember the registrar looking at me and kind of like, kind of like walking around me and then uh, saying, you are going to have to get a haircut before you register for classes. And my hair was shorter than it is right now, okay? Uh, I thought it was a very, you know, nice haircut. But he, he said, you have to get a haircut <clears throat> before you can register for classes. You're not going to be able to start school with that, you know, shaggy long hair you have. And my mom had to get a pair of scissors out <clears throat> there in the registration line. And she had to cut up around my ears and she had to cut, you know, across the back and make me look very clean and nice and mostly, you know, horrible and nerdy because, you know, that is not a good look. And so she had to cut my hair before I could register for classes. That's a real thing that happened. That's a, I mean, and then I quit that college a month later. <laughs> I did. They didn't kick me out. I quit. So <laughs> I don't regret it. I don't regret it. So the, the, there's a flashpoint issue here uh, that Paul is dealing with with the church, uh, and he's got them all riled up. And the issue is circumcision. It's not hair length, it's circumcision. So the, the, this is the thing that has been added now to the Gentile Christians. And as much as I love my hair, it's not the same, okay, as circumcision. That's the issue that Paul is dealing with. Basically what has happened is that Paul went to Galatia and spread the good news of Jesus. Gentiles in the area believed in Jesus, and churches were formed around the truth of the gospel. And this was the gospel, that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. That was it. Jesus is the only means of salvation. Jesus is the only way that we can be freed. That was the message that Paul brought with him to Galatia. He starts these churches, And he tells them that through the grace we have been given by God in Christ, we have access to being part of God's family. Something that at one point was only for Jewish people has now been expanded. It's now been expanded. It's now for all people. We can all be part of the family of God. And that's the message that Paul is taking. These churches were based on the truth that Jesus is the beginning, middle, and end of our faith. That nothing else can save besides him. That Jesus is the ultimate, the everything. That was how these churches got started. So after starting these churches, after getting these uh, groups of Gentiles on their way in the life of the gospel, Paul leaves to start more churches. That's what he does. He's a missionary. So he, he goes to Galatia. He starts these churches. He gets them on solid foundation, and then he goes to the next town, and he starts more churches. This is his practice. But after he had moved on, Paul starts to hear reports back from Galatia that someone or someones had come in after him to these churches and had started telling them that what Paul told them was incomplete. They started telling the churches in Galatia that the message that Paul had given them was not the whole truth. That Paul had left something out. That there was also these super important uh, religious practices, the chief among which was circumcision. And so these people have come in to the churches and told them, actually, you do have to adopt some of these Jewish practices and customs in order to be part of God's family. If you want to be part of God's family, you have to look like the OGs of God's family, the Jewish people. And that's the message that they that preach. And that makes Paul extraordinarily angry. 
We, we lose this in our translations because it's all, it all sounds like Bible speak, but there was a way to write letters in the first century where you started with the salutation, which is what Paul does. Here's who I am. Here's where I'm writing you from, da-da-da-da-da. And then you would say something nice about the person you were writing a letter to you. You would say, I give thanks for you always when I pray for you because I know that you are loving God and you are striving hard for the message of the gospel. If you read some of Paul's other letters, he says that kind of thing. In this letter... Paul does not say a nice word. He just is like, I'm Paul. Here's where I'm writing from. What's up? Also, what is going on? Like, what are you guys doing? Is what I'm hearing accurate about you? Paul is worked up. So he writes a letter and he gets right to the point. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. For Paul, this is not a small matter. This is not insignificant. For Paul, the issue is the gospel. The very gospel is at stake. This is at the core of what the gospel message is about. Jesus sets us free. Free from sin, free from this evil age, as he said in chapter 1, and free from the power of having to keep the law in order to be righteous. That's what Jesus is all about. And he says, if you are listening to someone who says anything more than that, they are not just telling you something a little bit different. They are telling you a completely different gospel. That's pretty intense stuff. So Paul appeals to the Galatians with everything he has. He tells them his own story of understanding the grace of God. He tells them about going to Jerusalem. He tells them about uh, confronting Peter. He tells them all of this stuff to try to express to them the importance of the moment that they are in, to try to ensure them that he did not come and lie to them. He told them the truth about the gospel. And at the very end, he even says, me and my Jewish friends understand this is true about Jesus Christ. Even those of us who are, who are still culturally Jewish, even those of us who still celebrate the festivals and still do the eating regulations, even those of us who still live Jewishly, even we understand that none of that is what saves you. Even we understand that all of that is not what's important to the gospel. And if, and if these Jewish people understand that, how much more should you Gentiles understand that. Paul is contending for these people. So as I studied these two chapters, there's all sorts of questions about who these people are that have come in to sow discord. Paul doesn't really tell us, right? We know that people have come and done this, but we don't know who they are. But as I researched, I wasn't so concerned about who they were. I was concerned about why they were doing what they were doing. Were they being nefarious were they trying to confuse people? Were they trying to cause trouble? Why, why would they come behind Paul and do what they were doing? So during that one whole month that I made it in Bible college, I met a guy uh, who w- had come from India to study to be a pastor. And he was a very nice guy, and he had, uh, you know, uh, come to frigid Minnesota to study to become a pastor. And once we were talking, and, he, and I don't remember what we were talking about, but I remember vividly that he was like, you need to see this. And he pulled out his computer, and he showed me a video of his home church in India. And he was saying, this is a worship service at my home church in India. And uh, the people were dancing. The people were singing. The people were clapping. They were on their feet. They were moving around the room. They were fully uh, physically immersed in their worship. 
Our campus was like the footloose town, okay? Like, you could not dance on our campus. Basically, if, if, if this man's church came to our campus and worshipped as they would worship, they would be expelled from our school, which is just, just discordant, right? It's just discordant. But he was saying, this is how we worship in my home church. We have a tendency to universalize our experiences and our culture And what happens when we universalize our experiences and our cultures, when we say to ourselves or even to others, the way we do things is the right way, what we can tend to do is to connect those things to our belief system. And so what happens is it's no longer just a thing that we do because we enjoy doing it or because we were raised doing it. It's no longer just a thing that we do because it's culturally part of kind of the the waters that we swim in. It becomes part of who we are as believers. And we begin to attach things to the gospel, like cutting your hair before you can register for classes that don't belong there. We can begin to universalize our experience and pretend that it's part and parcel to the gospel. This can happen with our political persuasions. It can happen with the way that we raise our children. It can happen in the way that we worship or the way that we talk or the way that we dress. And if we're only around other people who dress or talk or think or act like us, then what can happen is we start to believe that's what Christians do. And when we're faced with someone who is a Christian, this is a person who's a believer, but it doesn't look anything like me, we begin to wonder. And if we were asked to disciple them, perhaps instead of discipling them in the truth of the gospel that Jesus has set them free, perhaps we would really start to try to make them look like us. With our persuasions, with our ideas, with our clothes, whatever it is, we begin to universalize the way we see the world and make that part of the gospel message. Now, I don't want you to hear me say what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that the way we talk and the way we dress and the way we think is is not important with relation to the gospel. The gospel influences the way that we live our lives. It needs to. It should. At the end of this passage, actually, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ, so I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. He's saying, it's not just my life isn't just influenced by the gospel. I'm handing it over. I'm surrendering my life to the gospel. The trouble is sometimes... Instead of letting our lives be influenced by the gospel, we are letting the gospel be influenced by our lives. And we're tying up messages uh, through our lives and our ideas and our own persuasions, and we're tying those up with the gospel message that we're delivering to other people. And that's when we're getting the order of things reversed. Maybe this morning, that's something that you've experienced someone else doing to you. Maybe you've heard a gospel that begins with Jesus, but it also has other requirements. Believe in Jesus, yes, but also do X, Y, and Z. And always be sure to behave within these preset lines. This morning, my prayer for you is that you would hear the words of Paul so clearly here. It is only Jesus who sets us free. It is only Jesus. There are no behaviors that God requires of you to earn his love. There are no beliefs you can hold that earn you more of his grace. It is Jesus top to bottom, Jesus through and through. And that's the message that uh, those of us who are part of God's family are going to take out of here with us today. 
And that's my prayer for us, is that when we leave this place, we, we, we are going to leave with the gospel. And you might not tell somebody about Jesus this week with your words, but I believe that when we live in the world, we are telling people about Jesus with our lives. If people know that you love Jesus, then you are every day ministering to them through the way that you live. And my prayer for myself and my prayer for all of us here is that we would not attach our own ideas to that gospel that we are spreading. That we wouldn't attach our own uh, version of the good life to the gospel. That the gospel would stand on its own merit for what it is because it is perfect. The gospel is that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, that he raised again on the third day according to the scripture, and that he will come again for his people, for his family who love him. That's, That's the pure unadulterated gospel. And that's the gospel that we can carry out with us this morning. And it's also the gospel that we remember as we come here to the table. So as we celebrate the sacrament of communion, we have a chance to remember, to reflect on this truth, that it is only the body and blood of Christ that is sufficient for our salvation. That it is only the body and blood of Christ that is sufficient for our entrance into the family of God. That, that nothing else can be added to that and nothing needs to be subtracted from it. And so this morning as we gather and we take this bread and this cup and, and we remember, I pray that this would do something in us, mysterious. I pray that the Spirit would move as we go through these motions, that the Spirit would move in us and that the Spirit would remind us who we are in Christ Jesus, that we would be able to strip away all of the other things that we so often attach to the gospel message, that they would just slide right off of us and we would remember who we are in Christ and that this is the Christ that we will carry out with us when we leave this place today. That's my prayer for us this morning.